just a voice out of nowhere. <laughs> Ryan. Uh, um, yes. Yeah? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 94. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We're in week three of our cross-training series here, looking at the third dimension of discipleship. We've talked about truth. We've talked about heart. And now we're getting into the power-packed conversation about action. Yeah, I was thinking about that word, action. Have you watched any of the Mandalorian gallery? The behind-the-scenes stuff? The behind-the-scenes oh, stuff? Oh, yes, we have. <laughs> I love behind-the-scenes stuff of any kind. That's been amazing. But I'm always amazed at how much work it takes for a show or a movie to get made. Oh, yeah. I mean, they spend so much time in pre-production, writing, rewriting the script, building sets and costumes, memorizing and rehearsing scripts. And, and then comes the day one of filming, but nothing actually gets on camera until the director says... Action. Our magic word. <laughs> Action. That's right. <laughs> and as Christians, I think we need to avoid the trap of staying stuck in pre-production. Mm. We know our lines. We're dressed and ready. And now go. Jesus has already given the direction to action. So, yeah, that's what we want to talk about today. Going from dimension one, the truth, to the heart, and now to dimension three, taking action. I, I We already determined last week, I think, that uh, I'm in beta. So <laughs> I guess that means I'm in pre-production. And uh, maybe I should get out there and take action. This should be a good conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into our first segment. And it's like the teacher. So we're starting with a story in which Jesus exemplifies this topic that we're talking about. And that is action. And when did Jesus take action in the gospel? And it's where he washes the disciples' feet. Right before his death, pretty much, he does one of the most impactful and powerful things that, that we could really even imagine. And it's there in the upper room during the supper, during this feast of the Passover that they're having. He gets down on his knees, he wraps a towel around himself, and he begins to wash his disciples' dirty, stinky feet. <laughs> it's just, it's so profound and it's so simple. And what he's really talking about here is something deeper than telling them that they should be professional podiatrists or giving people pedicures or anything like that. Like he's not, he doesn't care about feet. He cares about this act of service and passing that on basically to his disciples. So what are you seeing in this story? I know we talk about this story a lot, especially here on the podcast, but what are you seeing in this story as you think about action and taking action today? Well, one of the verses that jumped out at me is verse 12 after the story, after he's gone and he's he's done all of this foot scrubbing on them. <laughs> it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, so he gets back dressed up and then he resumes his place. He sits back down at his seat at the table and he said, do you understand what I have done to you? Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good question. I mean, he knows they might, this might just be totally, they're lost. What is he doing? He's never done this before. <laughs> and it's his last night with him. So you imagine all that they need to know. They couldn't possibly be prepared for all that's about to happen as their world gets upended and, and the Lord is killed as an enemy of the state. But Jesus spends this big chunk of the night 
just like he said, kneeling silently in front of them, not talking, not teaching, not yeah. explaining what he's doing. He's just these 12 men have really clean feet now. And <laughs> is, is that the point of uh, what were they supposed to take from it? Do you understand? And he goes on to explain, I'm still your master, yet I lowered myself and now you do that too. And we might say, yeah, I get it. It's mm -hmm. good to humbly serve people. I know to which Jesus says in verse 17, these words that I think are the point. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Mm -hmm. Action. Action. Like, I get it. I get it. It's good to serve. But here is Jesus actually doing this profound thing that is really, it's gross. It's yeah. beneath him. And that's the point is he is the servant. And now it's our turn to be servants. And passing that on, I mean, by example, he could have just used this opportunity to talk to them. Like, let me talk to mm -hmm. you about foot washing. You know, let me tell you the five points you need to know about effective foot washing. <laughs> I mean, he totally could have done that. Yeah. If he yeah. wanted to. He could have gotten the PowerPoint out and gone bullet <laughs> by bullet into three alliterative steps toward... <laughs> I'm just thinking of my mind swirling now. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the points, but no, Jesus, he didn't do that. Yeah. And he didn't need to do that because all he had to do was show them and do it to them. And I think that's such a great mark of leadership. It is somebody who shows you the right way by actually doing it and living it. And as I think about this story, I kind of think like is that it? Is that all? Like that, that's all you had to do. Like at the final moment, this intimate moment, like the last thing you were going to do with all of your disciples together is wash their feet. Like we know this story so well, and I think it's easy for us to miss how kind of anticlimactic this is because Jesus, who's been doing amazing and powerful miracles and just blowing people's minds with the power he has over nature, the power he has over people's lives, the amazing teaching that he's offering, like he could have done something that was just amazing. And in the whole story, maybe like this might have been the point where the transfiguration should have happened, like the pinnacle of the amazing power that God could have displayed in his son on this earth. But the last thing he does with his disciples is wash their feet. And it's like, if I had a bucket list, if I knew I was about to die, would I be living it up and trying to do all those things I never got to do? Or would I just do the simple, tiny, most impactful thing, the quiet thing that Jesus does here? I don't know. I think in hindsight, we see the beauty of this scene because it's, it's so simple and it's not flashy. It's not overly impressive. It's pretty much the exact opposite of all of that. Yeah, it makes you love Jesus more to think about it. Really, <laughs> it, it does. It does. Really. I've talked about like with the adulterous woman, mm -hmm. you know, cast the first stone and just some of the things we've talked about, all the different things that Jesus does that sometimes the greatest faith for me comes in seeing not the things that Jesus does that no one else could do, but the things anyone could do, but no one else does. No one else would. No one else would. Until yeah. Jesus came and did them and said them. And now a story like this changes, I mean, has affected the course of the world and has affected so many lives and changed so many relationships. And it defines the church and who we are. So yeah, it's, it's just beautiful. This is an action that nobody else as a rabbi, as a teacher, 
would have done. This is mind-blowing. Like, Jesus, get off your knees, take that towel off, you will not wash my feet. Like Peter tried to convince him. Yeah, yeah. you, this is beneath you. You are the teacher, not the servant here. And yeah. Jesus flips everything upside down and says, you don't even understand anything. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's an honor-shame culture, maybe unlike ours to a certain extent. And he's doing something shameful, but it's, it's really glorious. Mm-hmm. And this is his glory, is how he is a servant. All right, so let's get into our second segment. And that is through the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. So we are here looking at five challenges that we have laid out. If you want to find the challenges, you can check out the link in the show notes. They are also the chapter art for this segment, by the way. And you can go and find out the five challenges we've laid out all on the topic of action. And so as we start here, we have five challenges. And the first one is to read. And so we've got some passages here, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, which we just talked about, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, James 2, verses 14 through 26, and Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 27. And moving on here from the story of Jesus in John, let's go to 1 Peter, because I think 1 Peter has something really powerful to say in chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I think the story here that Peter is trying to convey is that your actions speak louder than your words. Teaching the truth is important. It's important for us to get out there and lay out the gospel, lay out the truth, refute error when we need to. All those things are important. But I don't think anything is as powerful for the world as turning enemies into friends by living the truth. Mm -hmm. And when people see the way we live, Peter says here that they're going to speak against us as evildoers, but they're going to actually look at what we say and look at what we do. They're going to realize that we're different. There's something about us that they need to find out about. It's not going to prevent us from experiencing this kind of persecution. People are still going to think that we are, quote unquote, too religious. But maybe some of them will be willing to reconsider their position and see how much we actually love people, how much we serve others, how much we get on our knees and wash people's feet, and that we're calm and gentle and patient and kind and all of the things that we are. And hopefully that will cause them to wonder about that hope that's within us. Yeah, that's really powerful. There's something so distinctive about a mature, godly person, someone who really has given their lives to Christ. That's been one of the most profound influences on my life. Mm -hmm. And going into the reflection challenge, the question is what one small change could make a big difference in my life? What could I do to be more like that kind of person that I want to be, like Christ is. And so it's about small changes. And one of my favorite poems, it's a poem by David White, talks about this idea. It's called Start Close In. And he says, start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing, close in, the step you don't want to take. I love that. (laughs) Start with the ground you know, the pale ground beneath your feet, your own way to begin the conversation. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple. To hear another's voice, follow your own voice. Wait until that voice becomes an intimate private ear that can really listen to another. Start right now. Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. 
Be humble and focused. Start close in. Don't mistake that other for your own. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing, close in, the step you don't want to take. I love that. That's really good. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful reminder that these grand plans that we have, and I think maybe in the new year we get into this trap from time Mm -hmm. to time of like, next year I want to be this and I want to have done these things. We set all these resolutions and then couple weeks later, we fall flat on our face pretty quickly. But if we just focus on that small step, I think that's something we can all do. Any one of us can take a small step forward. And one way to help yourself in that is this third challenge, which is to request. And that's to go to the Lord in prayer and have this conversation with God. Lord, let my daily conduct bring the glory all to you and not to myself. And I think just thinking about this type of prayer You can rephrase this however you want, but focusing on God as the source of all of these great things that we do, focusing on him as the one who receives all the glory and not for ourselves. It just kind of reminds me of that sun versus moon conversation. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that we're reflectors in the world. The moon isn't the source of the light, but if the moon didn't do its job, then at night we'd never have any light. The moon is up there, it's doing its function, it's serving its purpose, but the real source of the light is the sun. And God is the source of all light. God is light. And we're just reflectors here in this earth. We're not the source of the light. We're the city set on a hill, allowing people to see our good deeds. But the good deeds don't come from us. We're not the one who invented these good deeds. And oh, by the way, when people see these good deeds that we do, they don't glorify us, they glorify God. Or at least they should. And and we should direct people to be glorifying God. And so praying prayers like this, I think, is really helpful, not only in just reframing what we believe about God and who the real source of glory is, but it just helps us not to be tempted to receive this golden pat on the back. We keep talking about the golden (laughs) pat on the back, but man, that just keeps coming up in my mind. Yeah, and you can go the other way, as we've talked about, to where I think a lot of Christians have problems with people seeing their good deeds right. as if it's going to gonna make it about them and we want to be humble. And I think that prayer is really helpful for that, too, to just remember it's not about you. Even when someone does see your good deed, uh-huh. the point is the glory it brings to God. And that's Jesus' point in that statement about being a light. Along with all of these things, it's about doing. And the fourth challenge is about doing something extra for somebody today. And just keeping with this theme of small things versus grandiose visions. I mean, I also have grand new endeavors and plans and ideas all the time of how I'm going to volunteer, how I'm going to evangelize, how I'm going to serve, how just all these different things, what our family can do, Mm -hmm. what I can do. But a little goes a long way. And last month, Adrian decided to try to touch in some way, try to connect in some way with each person in the congregation and each person in our neighborhood. Uh And so, as you might imagine, it kind of snowballs and that ends up being a pretty big, (laughs) bigger job than we anticipated because we were trying to keep it simple. But it is amazing how... For each person or each family, it was just some little connection. And it's amazing how a little handmade present or a little simple expression of concern 
in some way from our kids or whatever can change somebody's day, can let someone who may have been, especially in the world we're in right now, feeling very alone, very isolated, oh, yeah. and help them to know that people care about them and there's people who are ready to help, to listen, to connect with them at any situation. So again, the challenge, do something extra, just something a little more than what you normally do for people today. Yeah, and it's that unexpected thing. Yeah. It's easy for us, like we could list, here's six really positive things you can do for somebody, but I mean, just find that thing that they would never have expected you to do and just think about that and, and make that a good goal to have this week. And I, I love it. Take action. And that's the whole real point of that respond part of the challenge is to take action. So take action by taking action. I guess is, it makes a lot of sense. So as we get into the last challenge here, the fifth challenge, and that's to reach out. This is all about having a conversation with someone. It's all about connecting with somebody. And here's this question. What have others done for you that made a positive impact on your life? And I think that's a good thing that we can talk about. So let's talk about that here on the episode. Ryan, what have others done for you that's made a positive impact on you? A friend once told me that the best way to make a difference is to help other people get that they make a difference. <laughs> and that's made a, a big impact on me when other people have helped me to see that my efforts matter, that there's been some way in which I have helped them. Mm -hmm. And so it's something I try to do for others because so many people are making an impact on me in so many ways. And I see the impact that our Bible class teachers make on our kids and the impact that our neighbors, whenever they reach out and try to make a little special connection, you know, all, all the things that everybody does makes a difference. So that's one way that I've been encouraged. And another really simple thing is just availability. People being available to help me, help our family, help us with a house project or to babysit is a big deal because I don't have any grandparents <laughs> living anywhere near. Right. Or to fill a spot at church, you know, in, in the service. And then just especially being available as a listener. But availability is a big deal, I think, in people making an impact on me. Oh, yeah. What about you? I think all the times I can think about the people who've made the biggest impact on me, it hasn't been these giant things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been people who, like you say, and I'm going to probably camp on some of the things that you talked about too and repeat them, but there's a brother here who, I mean, would just bend over backwards for anybody. And when we moved into the house, he was a, a few blocks down. I was looking for a pair of bolt cutters and he brought over five different bolt cutters if I needed them. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, this kind of just small thing that somebody can do. I have a feeling I know who that was. You know exactly who that is. <laughs> but it's the little things, man. It's like, you know, so much when we talk about action and we talk about these big, giant things, we think about it that way. But a lot of times the things that make the most difference are somebody's tone of voice, the small gestures yeah. that they make, their body language that just sticks with you more than some big, grand gesture that they might do. And I think that's really just the power in giving somebody your full attention, validating them, acknowledging them, listening to them. Whenever I'm in a Bible class or teaching a Bible class and one of the one of the kids in class makes a comment, even if it's not totally on base, even if it's a little bit left of center or whatever, I just appreciate so much that they've said something. Yeah. 
and that they had the courage to say something. Making sure that they know that I appreciated what they said. Telling somebody thank you when you notice them doing something small or seemingly insignificant behind the scenes. And those times where that's happened to me has just made a huge impact. And I don't always do that back to other people. And I need to work on that myself. Just like you said, even being kind of like being interruptible when somebody needs your time, Mm. just being there willing to give yourself to somebody as a listening ear and talk to somebody, not being so busy and caught up in all of the other actions that you're doing. Being able to have that margin to give to people, I think, is big. And for times when people have done that for me, it just reminds me, like, this is what I need to pay forward to. Yeah, interruptible is a great word. (laughs) That's better than available. Interruptible. And that is a kind of a dance that takes some discernment. Dancing is wrong, by the way. I just want to, I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've seen Footloose. I understand. No, I, I, I think that that dance of having boundaries uh, and being able to kind of set some time aside for focusing on your family or your time with the Lord or whatever, Mm -hmm. but then having a lot of other margin for interruption to where it doesn't throw everything off whenever you get that text and somebody really needs to think with you about something or needs some, some advice or you get that request for help from someone or whatever. I I really like that idea of interruption. I think it's one of those things where it's not 100% on this side or that side. It's kind of learning the discernment to find a way to be interruptible while still being able to, as a preacher, this has been a big part of my relationship with Adrian is learning to be available to people, but also not letting that get in the way of my attention to her. So yeah, those are good things to ponder and make sure we have clarity on. It's all about balance, though, too. That's really what you're saying. You know, you don't have to have either or. It's not just this or that. You can have both in a balance that you're able to focus on both and give both their attention. But it's it's not easy and it takes a lot of thought. And I think that's what this is all about. So moving on to our third segment here on the episode, and that is Here's the Story. Here's the story. So we are talking here on the episode about action. And if there is one figure in the Bible who demonstrates action probably more than most, it's Abraham. He is the the father of faith. He's this great figure and man who is constantly pointed back to in the New Testament. And here in Genesis chapter 22, there is a great story about Abraham and his son Isaac. And so we're just going to tell the story. And we're going to elaborate on it a little bit, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. But this story of Abraham is kind of in contrast to some of the stuff we've been talking about. We've been talking about small things, taking small steps. But what if you were asked to offer your son as a sacrifice? That's a big thing. Yeah, and when we talk about taking bold, decisive, obedient action, that's a pretty (laughs) classic case study. And in fact, James makes his case that we need to act on our faith by bringing us back to that incident. In James 2, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, 
and faith was completed by his works. There's, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, the emergency broadcast system <laughs> interruptions. I had to look, I looked this up on Wikipedia and evidently it went away in 1997, the emergency oh, really? broadcast system. Huh. But yeah, you used to see, you'd be watching your show and it would get interrupted. This yeah. is a this test. This is only a test. Do not worry, as Cold War kids, don't worry, <laughs> you know, a bomb is not coming from Russia mm -hmm. to blow us all up. This is only a test. And this story starts with that kind of note just to let us know this is only a test. And I think a part of that is so we don't misunderstand and think God actually condones human sacrifice as readers, we know going into this whole thing, this is only a test. Isaac is going to be fine. <laughs> but but Abraham doesn't have that this is only a test forewarning. And yeah. so this is this is real for him. And it says in verse one, God calls him. It says, Abraham, God calls your name. What do you say? He says, here I am. Yes, I'm here. Imagine just that. Stop right there. I, I'm sorry. I have to stop you. But like, imagine that. Just a voice out of nowhere. Ryan. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Sorry, go ahead. It is amazing. And the appropriate response I hope I would have is, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. here. <laughs> and he says a command. He says, take your son. And then he wants to be really clear about who this son is. Take your son, the only one you have, the one you love, you know, the promised son. Yeah, take him and offer him as a burnt offering. And I'm going to show you exactly where to do it. And you just think, what would I do with that? What would you do with that? And of course, going on in our story, what does Abraham do with that? He does it. And that's the whole reason why we're talking about this story. If Abraham would have decided like, nope, I'm out. This is too much. Then Abraham would not be the figure of faith that he is today. James would not have talked about him. But in verse three, Abraham gets up early and I'm a morning person. I don't think you are. Nope. If there is something that you are just dreading having to do, like you probably are not going to wake up super early to do that. You're probably not going to be like gung-ho, like it looks like Abraham is in here. You might be sleeping in, you might be hemming and hawing. Like anytime my daughter's trying to get ready for school in the morning, she is finding every single thing under the sun imaginable to do before actually doing the things that she has to do to get to school. That is not what Abraham is doing here. He's loading up the car, or sorry, the donkey, and he's getting everything he needs together. He's getting two of his helpers. He's getting his son, Isaac. He gets the wood ready to go. And God has told him to go to a distant place. I think that's important here in this story. He's not called him to like go down the block. It's going to take a while to get there. So this is a road trip that they're taking. And so they're going to Moriah, which was obviously pretty far away. And it takes them three days to get there. But there it is off in the distance, kind of like when you're taking a road trip at night and you see the faint glow of the city out in front of you. You can see that you're almost there. And that's kind of what Abraham sees. Off in the distance, there is Moriah. And that's where they're headed. And so they get there and he tells his helpers, look, my son and I are going to go up to worship and then we'll be back. Like, this is not kind of ambiguous. He's not being coy with them. I mean, in no uncertain terms, he seems very confident about the fact that they're going to worship and then they're coming back. If there were any doubts there, you really can't tell from what yeah. he says. He just 
says the plain thing, and there's not some gloomy expression. He's not foreboding, or he just says, we're going to worship, and then we're coming back. So they both carry the equipment. They've got the wood, they've got the knife, they've got the fire that they have to take with them, and they begin heading up the mountain. And what is amazing here is that Isaac, the sacrifice, has to carry his own instrument of death up the mountain. And if that doesn't sound familiar, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) this whole story really is pointing to Jesus in some very big ways. But he's carrying his wood that he's about to be laid upon up this mountain. We know the end of the story, but you have to imagine as Abraham is watching this, and Abraham may not know, he might have an idea, but he doesn't know for sure. Just watching all of this, I don't know what's going through Abraham's mind. But Isaac's looking around, and there's an obvious question here, like, we're going up on the mountain, we're missing something, Dad. And so he, he talks to his father, and he says, look, we've got everything else. Here's the wood, here's the fire, here's, here's everything. Where's the lamb? And Abraham tells his son that God is going to provide that part of it. God will provide the lamb, and we're just going to go up. And Isaac seems totally and completely trusting in his father. Like, okay, sounds good. No complaining, no second guessing. Isaac just goes with Abraham and goes with his word. And so leading on from this part of the story, I mean, this is kind of all the lead up to the amazing thing that happens next. Yeah, and and you can just imagine that knot growing in Abraham's stomach as they draw closer. They get to the spot. Abraham starts stacking rocks, Mm -hmm. just putting a rock on top of another, knowing he's building an altar that's going to be covered in his boy's blood if he goes all the way through as he evidently intends to do. And he lays the wood in order. He ties up Isaac. And we don't read of any more questions from Isaac as he binds his hands. What, what, where's that thing the Lord's providing, right? Mm-hmm. He binds his hands. He lays him down on the altar. Isaac's laying there feeling the wood and the stone on his back, looking into his father's heavy eyes probably. And Abraham unsheathes his knife. He draws his arm up to strike. And and really, that's as far as he can go and not actually complete the act. And just at that moment, the Lord's angel calls from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds just like he did three days earlier. Here I am. Here I am. <laughs> saved by the <laughs> yeah, bell. Yeah. Saved by the Abraham, Abraham. The test began with a call on his name from above. And that's how it mercifully ends. Think about being Isaac, though. I mean, I know we pr- we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes more often, but like Isaac was obviously old enough to know that they were missing something. And it doesn't say exactly how old Isaac is here, but like, what is he thinking? What would you be thinking in that case? Like, I wouldn't even let my parents feed me liquid medicine. Like, I... I <laughs> They would chase me around the house just to get me to drink like Dimetap or whatever. Like this is, I don't know. I don't know what he must have been thinking in this case, but it's clear he wasn't fighting against it, which is amazing. Well, in in a way, get to Romans 12, yeah. be a, a living sacrifice. We are not Abraham, but Isaac in that metaphor. Yeah. We need to be willing to climb up on the altar and and be ready to lay ourselves down, not by dying, but by living every day. Hopefully not by dying, though that might be the case someday, by living each day as a sacrifice. So the voice tells Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. And God says, now I know. 
Abraham willingly made the journey. He made the altar. No doubt he was ready to do this unthinkable thing at the command of God. And Hebrews gives us a little insight into Abraham's mind, I think. Hebrews says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And that's why he was willing to, in a way, impede God's own promise of bringing this great nation through Isaac by killing the boy. He's willing to do that knowing God can raise this kid right back up. And amazing faith, amazing faith that is willing to go into amazing action. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. This is such a classic Bible <laughs> phrase. Lifted up his eyes and behold. 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 Such a better word than looky here. <laughs> such a better, better way to say it than look over there. <laughs> look at that. Behold, Abraham looked around and he saw a ram stuck in the thorns by his horns. And in an early necessary inference, he <laughs> perceived God's provision in that seeming coincidence yeah. that clearly isn't a coincidence, right? We walked right by that thing. Where, where was it a few minutes ago? <laughs> where was that before? <laughs> you know, the timing just seems perfect here. Well. Imagine the luck. <laughs> and so he untangles the animal and he replaces his son with this offering that God has provided. And he calls the place the Lord will provide. I think there's a song, Jehovah Jireh, this idea of the Lord will provide. And there's a saying that he quotes there that I think we should say more often that on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I think I might bring that up with Adrian. We should just start saying that as our saying that <laughs> it's going to be okay. Whenever things look the most dire yeah. on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And isn't it always the case when we want to offer something to God, that we offer him something he provided to us. Oh, man, that's deep. That's always what it is. It right? is. It's just stewardship is all it really is. We're not the owners of it. God was the one who gave it to us in the first place. Ah, that's good. That's a good yeah. point. So going from here, how does this story wrap up? I mean, he now he has the offering. Is that the end of it? No, I mean, clearly, because God has already made some promises to Abraham already, but God now makes more promises to Abraham. And is if this all wasn't amazing enough to hear the angel these few times, he hears the angel call to him again. And God speaks through the angel to Abraham and tells him about all the blessings that he's going to receive for his obedience. He's going to have a huge family. It's going to be innumerable like the sand and the stars. And they're going to be mighty. They're not just going to be a small weak nation. They're going to be a mighty nation who has power over their enemies and from his family, through his family, everyone in the world will find blessing. You wonder who he could be talking about there. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> this is all obviously pointing to Jesus again. But God is blessing Abraham. And there's a reason why God is blessing Abraham. He gives the reason twice. In the beginning of this conversation, after his obedience, and at the end. And the whole reason why he's receiving these amazing blessings is because he did what God said. He listened and obeyed. And I find this amazing. God is fully aware of what Abraham is going to do. Yet, the fact that he says, now I know. You know, that's just, that's so amazing that God knows what Abraham is going to do, gives him this test. And then once Abraham proves himself, now God knows. God always knew beforehand that Abraham would do this. It's just this amazing thing to think about, about God's nature and his 
relationship to time that he created, by the way. He knows all these things, but he still puts us in these situations so that we will act. And when we act, we receive the blessings from God. And God is obviously the source of the blessings. Abraham didn't earn these things. Abraham wasn't performing all of the steps required to get himself these blessings. God still mercifully and graciously gave him these blessings. But it was his faith. It was his trust and ultimate obedience that got him in the Lord's favor, that helped him pass that test. If he hadn't lifted the knife, if he hadn't done all the things leading up to this, then God would not have blessed him. I think that that point you're making about now I know is really important, and it is it is really profound in light of God's omniscience. I think there's a lot to reflect on about the importance of trial mm-hmm. and action there. There's a word for character that's used in Romans 5, that passage in verses 3 through 5, where it says, it talks about trials coming. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing the suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And that word for character is a word that means proven character, tested, examined, and approved character. It's that thing where we go through the test, we go through the challenge, and it forges us, and it makes us into these people that have been changed by the process, and our character has held up under the test. And you think of virtue, any virtue really, and it's it all really lives in the moment of trial. It doesn't exist really outside of it. How can you have courage when there's nothing to fear? How can you have compassion when there isn't someone who is suffering and in need of your mercy and your care and your support or your forgiveness or whatever it is. All of the virtues that we have, all of the things that we're trying to emulate Christ in, even Christ's own life shows that through the cross, love is conveyed to us. God had love for us before that, but this is how we know love is through the cross. And, And I think that's a really important idea for us to get as we think about living our faith. And it's just exactly what James is talking about as we kind of open this thing up with. You can't just look at your child who is in need and asking for things from you and say, oh, go in peace, be warmed and filled, you know, without actually taking action, without doing something, then it doesn't matter how much you say you love them. It doesn't matter how much you talk about the fact that you're going to provide for them until you actually love them enough to provide for them and do the work, then You really haven't loved them at all. And again, God is giving us the opportunity to demonstrate our love. Abraham amazingly loved God to the point where he was going to do something unthinkable. But even in the back of his mind the whole time, as the Hebrew writer talks about, he knew he had some idea. He had an idea of what God was capable of doing. And that's just a good thing for us to to remember about God, that when he calls us to act, we know that he's also going to be with us, providing us with the energy to work, providing us with the stamina and the zeal to continue to push forward. And I just think it's a good reminder every time we get to think about this, that Abraham did something that we may never be called to do, but it should give us even more confidence in doing the little things and making those small steps. If Abraham could do the big giant thing, I mean, surely I can go out tomorrow and talk to my neighbor about Jesus. That's a simple thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see how I I always 
like to reflect on the way God thinks about people. Yeah. (laughs) It's just interesting to me thinking about God saying to to Satan about Job, have you considered my servant Job, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or calling David a man after his heart. And God says to Abraham, he is a friend of God. Yeah. That guy, that's my friend. And you can see why God thinks of him as a friend. He trusts him. He listens to him. He walks with him. And God, like you say, is sure to walk with Abraham. He's reliable, you know, and Abraham shows himself to believe God and it is counted to him as righteousness because it's not just a belief in an idea. (laughs) It's a belief that he's willing to live by. And we were talking earlier this week about a quote from Dallas Willard that's something like, you don't know what you believe by what, what you say you believe. You find out what you believe whenever you act like you actually believe it. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's the story of Abraham's faith in offering Isaac. And as we're talking about action here and wrapping up this conversation, next week we're going to be talking about the fourth and final dimension of discipleship. We've talked about truth. We've talked about heart. Today we talked about action. And next we're going to talk about how the Lord's relationship with us shapes our relationship with everyone else around us. And that's community and how we live in this world, how we interact with people, the things that we do for people and to other people. And, you know, maybe this like the teacher segment that we talked about Jesus washing people's feet, maybe that's a good lead in, I think, to our relationship with others, serving people and going out and doing what we can to help other people. We'll talk about that on the next episode, Lord willing. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're going to have to find another one, though. I know. We used it up already. <laughs> well, there's there 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 has to be others. We'll find is another there another one. story. I'm, it, I'm sure there about is. Jesus serving people. OK, I'm yeah, pretty sure there is. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode at BibleGeeks.fm slash 94 or in your podcast player of choice. You can also follow along with us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook all over the place. You know what we'd really appreciate? you'd have an opportunity to share the show with a friend, that'd be awesome. Until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.